You're listening to the St. John's Dolby podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing or using our content without permission from St. John's Parish Dolby. If you'd like to contribute to the work of our church, please visit anglicandolby.org.au and click on the More tab. Thank you. Our reading this morning comes from Amos, chapter 6, verses 1a, and then 4 to 7. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Hear the word of the Lord. Gracious God, we are so thankful for the privilege and opportunity to listen to the words of the prophets. We learn, Lord, through the messenger, the prophet Amos, that you are the God of the past, present and future. For you, Lord God, are the holiest of holies, the Lord Almighty, and we give thanks for all the prophets who were called and spoke on your behalf. And we pray that you will speak through the hearts of all here today. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to sit for this one because the last uh, service there was rather lengthy and uh, I started seizing up in the old legs so I couldn't uh, stand up very much longer. So I'll come over here a bit more further. Can you still hear me? They were a studious lot here this morning. Uh, so if you want to follow in your Bibles, in your few Bibles, turn to page uh, 1140. We are continuing in the series of the prophets. But first I want to know what your interpretation of a prophet is. David and Zoe have mentioned the answers to these questions in their sermons many times. But uh, I would really like to know what you think a prophet is. Somebody like to tell me? God's messenger. God's messenger, there you are, that's a good answer. Someone Anybody else? God, someone giving God's warnings and God, not only warnings, but good things as well. That's right too. You're right on there. (laughs) Uh, Let's see what these definitions have got. Firstly, a person who speaks for God or a deity or by divine inspiration. A person who foretells or predicts what is to come. I think Rosie covered that one. And thirdly, 
being charged with communicating who God is and amends or atones or compensates for what God does. Amos was a prophet who challenged those who are in power, that is the monarchy and the high profile leaders and the wealthy people in general. He challenged them of their lifestyle and habits on God's behalf. Amos was often referred to as the prophet of doom. Let's have a look, a quick summary of Amos's background. In the era of 786-746 BC, when Jeroboam II was king of Israel and the official Jewish priest was Amazekiah, and when Uzziah was king of Judah, one of the great prophets of this time was Amos. Between 760 and 750 BC, roughly 10 years of ministry he spent prophesying for God. Amos was one of 12 minor prophets. He was a sheep herder and lived in a place called Tekoa, which is about 12 miles as the crow flies south of Jerusalem on a plateau in amongst the mountains. And just to help you there, there's Jerusalem. And then you come down here a little bit and there's Bethlehem there and then there's Tekiah here somewhere in there. There's not much of the original town of Tekiah that remains. However, there are lots of ruins that remain for the archaeologists to investigate. Some time ago, the archaeologists believed that they had actually found uh, what they believed to be the tomb of Amos. Although Amos was a sheep herder and a grower of sycamore trees, which is similar to a fig tree, he was a man of good standing among his peers. It is believed that he was also well educated. God chose Amos to go and prophesy to the kingdom of the northern region of Israel, and in particular, he chose to go to Bethel and Samaria. And there's, again, is Bethel. He's gone from right down here, right up to Bethel, and then up to Samaria, and in that region. Amos preached for social justice between the very rich and the very poor. He was a strong preacher and was not frightened in proclaiming God's inspired word to those in authority and especially to King Jeroboam II. When we look at the book of Amos, we find it consists of nine chapters which reveal his severe warnings or woes to Israel and other neighbouring countries that if those in authority, if they did not change their ways, God would severely deal with them. 
That's the message in most of the chapters of his book. As I mentioned before, Amos was well educated. He was one of the first prophets to actually write down an account of the messages he received from God and recorded the various places he visited. He was often admired for the purity of his language, his accuracy of dictation, and it is believed he possessed a poetic gift. Before he was to die, his journeys and his prophetical work were entrusted to a close and faithful circle of friends who at that time resided in Jerusalem. According to some theologians, his ministry, though short, concluded about 762 BC, two years before the predicted earthquake. And this earthquake is also recorded in the books of Zechariah and Isaiah. It has also been recorded that Amos may have died at the hands of the son of Amazekiah, who you will recall was the official Jewish priest of the royal sanctuary at Bethel, and with whom Amos had many confrontations. The prophecies of Amos. Let's explore a couple of these chapters in our pure Bibles. If you've got them open to page... Uh, 1140, at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 2, Amos' opening address to Israel begins with these words. And I'm using the Oxford Bible here. It's just got a little bit more uh, impact on the words, but they're very similar to what's in our NIV Bibles. When the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, the pastures of the shepherds wither, and the, mount, and the top of Mount Carmel dries up and turns brown. The Lord roars from Zion, a lion's roar. It's probably one of the most fearsome sounds during the day or night, which strike, strikes fear and demands attention from all other animals, including us humans. If you've had the fortune to uh, visit uh, Africa and been on a safari there, you may have heard the lions roar at night time. And it's pretty awesome. Or if you've been to a circus, uh, going through and looking at some of the cages, if the lion stands up and roars at you. I, I can remember one time as a little boy my heart just about come out of my mouth. And I dare not check my pants. And the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds wither and the top of the mountain of Carmel dries up and turns brown. What does this mean? Well, we're here well, where he says, the pastors of the shepherds wither, Amos is referring to the kings and the leaders of Israel who had failed their flocks, who, are the, who were the humble and poor people of Israel. And again the term, the top of Mount Carmel dries up and turns brown. He is referring to those aristocrats 
who were sitting comfortable in their high positions of authority, that they will be the first to feel the awesome power of God's wrath and will be struck down. Amos also had much to say about the transgressions of Damascus, Gaza, Eden, Tyre, Ammon and Moab, all the neighbours of the two Jewish kingdoms. They also would suffer the consequence of their evil ways and they too would be struck down. As we move on to chapter 2, verse 6, here Amos begins his prophecy against the northern kingdom of Israel. The Lord said, I will punish Israel for countless crimes and I won't change my mind. They sell honest people for money and the needy are sold for the price of a pair of sandals. Can you imagine that? Servants and slaves are mistreated and abused and, and thought of as only the value of, a, of mere footwear. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, the prophet Amos reminded the people of Israel the many kindnesses which God had shown toward them since the beginning of their history as a people. It says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, Therefore I will punish you for all your sins. The prophet continues telling them that because God had chosen them as his people, God demands of them higher standards. And just like a loving father punishes his erring son because he loves him, so God will punish them for their wrongdoings. Looking at chapter 4 verses 1 to 3, Fearlessly, the prophet Amos admonishes the fat cows. The fat cows? That is, the greedy Samaritan women of Bashan, who live in the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor and who crush the needy. Amos warned the rich who had amassed their fortunes by robbery and cheating and the selling of slaves that they would not enjoy their riches, they also would lose everything when the Lord and the land went down in doom. Just a note here, Amos really didn't know what was going to happen at that time. Uh, he knew the Lord was going to deal justly with uh, Israel and Judah, but those places were eventually invaded by the Neo-Azarian Empire. As we look at chapter 5, verses 4 and 6, a chance to be reconciled, an ultimatum, a reprieve is offered by Amos. He says, Thus says the Lord that to the house of Israel, Seek the Lord and you shall live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Again in verse 14, it says, Seek good and not evil, in order that you may live, and the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as he has said. And continuing on in verse 15, 
Hate what is evil. Love good and establish justice firmly in the courts. Then perhaps God, the Lord of hosts, will be gracious to the remnants of Joseph. Where the prophet Amos says the remnants of Joseph, of course he is referring to the ten kingdoms, the ten tribes, which were Reuben, Simeon, Dan, Naphtali, Glad, Asher, Aisha, Zebulon, Manasseh, and Ephraim. For it was out of the tribe of Ephraim, the son of Joseph, that Jeroboam I came to establish the new kingdom in opposition to the kingdom of Judah. If the people were all to heed the prophet Amos's warnings, God may be merciful to them. And so it goes on. There are many more warnings and woes that continue on in further chapters, but I would like you to now skip across to chapter 7. Here Amos was not afraid to appear in Bethel at the very time when the crowds had gathered to worship the golden calf. The golden calf was Jeroboam 1 had set up in a special temple all of its own. There in the very midst of the celebration, Amos announced the terrible punishments that God would bring upon the sinful people of Israel. But the crowds became angry, and their leader, the official Jewish priest Amazekiah, incited the people to do violence to Amos. Strange though it may seem, it was King Jeroboam II who protected the prophet Amos and let no harm befall him. Why? It doesn't say. And I have no idea of why. Continuing on in verse 12, Amos, uh, the Jewish priest, failing to dispose of Amos, ridiculed the prophet, warning him to flee back to Judah, where the people of his kind would be more welcoming. He also threatened Amos that he should never return to Bethel. <coughs> but Amos replied to Amazekiah that he himself was not a professional prophet, nor a prophet's disciple. Here Amos was declaring that he was not a trainee, but a plain man of the land, a shepherd and a grower of sycamore trees. And he said, <coughs> and he declared boldly and fearlessly to Amazekiah that God the Almighty had sent him to Bethel to speak in his name and to warn the people of their impending doom. Here Amos was indicating to Amazekiah that God spoke through him directly. Sometime later, not listening to Amos, King Jeroboam and the, the second will be killed by the Neo-Azerian army and his people would be put into bondage. The book of Amos repeatedly points out the failures of the people. They are they had been selling off needy people for material goods, taking advantage of the helpless, oppressing the poor, 
and the men were using women immorally. They were drunk on their own economic success and they were only intent on strengthening their own financial positions. They had totally lost the concept of caring for one another. Amos rebukes them because he saw in their lifestyle evidence that Israel had forgotten God and his law and that they should once again begin to embrace God's idea of justice or they would all suffer the consequences. Finally, if you flip across to chapter 9 verses 11 to 15 in your Bibles, Amongst all the gloom and doom, Amos does finish his prophecies on a happy note. That of the wonderful things that will happen to the Jewish people on that day. On the day of the true redemption and of the restoration that was to come in the future after being redeemed as a conquered nation. On that day, Amos prophesied Amos's prophecy is confirmed in verse 11. On that day means the day of the Messiah, Jesus. On that day, God will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and repair its breaches. And God will raise up its ruins and he will rebuild it and will set it up as in the days of old. So what's this mean for us today? In concluding our brief encounter with the book of Amos, with these two final observations. Firstly, Amos repeatedly describes how livid God gets in the face of economic injustice. <coughs> Whatever we may want to say about capitalism or any other economic system, I believe that Christians today should take heed of Amos's message most seriously. If the poor are being mistreated, God is angry. Could God be angry with us also? And if so, what might we need to do about it? Secondly, Amos reminds his audience what it looks like to remain faithful to God in a covenantal relationship. God is making it clear that they are to be authentic in their worship. Our religious life must be paired with a just and caring behaviour. During the years of Amos, and as we shall see elsewhere in the Bible, for Jesus, his disciples, and for the faithful Christian followers, even Christians of today, these two previous questions point directly to the heart of the Gospel. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 12, it says, Evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving others. Jesus prophesied that in the last days, lawlessness and selfishness 
would increase. Because of lawlessness and selfishness, the people's self-indulgent hearts would grow cold and they would cease in loving others. As we look at our present day on this earth, it's steeped in worldliness and smothered with false teachings and principles. And yes, there are many people who have turned away from the gospel teachings and given themselves up to other sources of entertainment. Sometimes I wonder, has the iPhone become the new deity? The word according to Google. Just Google for the answer. We live in a time that sets legal precedents for uh, legitimising sin, like abortion, euthanasia, approved brothels, strip clubs, casinos, porn. That's just to mention a few. These are turning our whole nation and culture away from God's most basic of teaching. Surely we are not blind. Surely we can see and hear these things happening constantly in our community, our country, and in the world, in which the love of many men and women and children's hearts are growing cold and disobedient towards our God. And sadly, and in many cases today, the concept of justice has been perverted in an attempt to defend the so-called rights of all groups, minorities of people who act against God's commandments as set down in His law. There was a time when a church could be left unlocked 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, without fear of someone stealing the sound system, vandalising the building or spray painting graffiti on the walls, etc. In this day and age, many churches have allotted a significant portion of their budgets to security systems and higher insurance coverage. It was a time when only essential stores were open for business on Sundays. Sundays were a time for families to be together and church was a time to share fun with other Christians. Now our society treats the Lord's Day as just another working day of the week. Gone is the general civic understanding and belief that the nation that honours and serves God will be blessed by God. Another thing lacking in our Christian churches today is the fear of God, who is almighty and powerful and is a still a zealous God. Many believers have only a shallow commitment to God that allows them to constantly rationalise and justify their attitude and behaviour and some of those previously mentioned lifestyles that go against God's will. There is a lack of understanding of what God expects and requires from His people. Yes, He is a loving God, but there is a limit limited sense of awe and adoration for God's holiness and glory. It is so easy for us just to shrug our shoulders and say to ourselves, well, that was so back then, but times have changed 
in this day and age, totally wrong. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His word is unchanging. Amos charged Israel with injustice, a variance, oppression, immorality, profanity, blasphemy, and sacrilege. These were all known as the seven deadly sins. Do these same sins apply to our society today? <coughs> we in this day and age are doing what the Israelites did back in Amos's time. It will only be when we turn to turn and confess our sins in profound repentance that we can freely live. And if judgment comes, its purpose will not be to destroy us, but rather it will be to restore us once again to the Lord, come what may. God provides so much for us while we idolise all our time on being so full of our own importance. We are so fortunate and loved that God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to turn us around and bring us back to Him. The way of salvation is through Jesus Christ our Lord, the only nature of true holiness. Jesus is the Saviour of the world, of you and me, and of the importance of eternal things to come. The underlying message that Amos brings is that God blesses people so that they can be channels of blessings to others, not that they may simply squander His blessings selfishly. We need to ask ourselves often, how can I as a Christian help someone today? More importantly, as a Christian, we are givers, more so than takers. God blesses Christians as they bless others. Finally, not long to go now, bear with, from the author Bill Johnson's book on releasing the spirit of prophecy, he says, if we were to embrace the challenges to study, to teach, and to experience using our family history as an example, then hopefully we will enable and equip our next generation of youth to step up into their identity and purpose as the new children of God. How can the evil be cured? It must be cured. It shall be cured. For thus says the Lord God in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The Lord be with you. Amen. Amen.